let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This is a really great uh, Bible memory verse to memorize. I would encourage you to memorize it in the NIV. It flows a little bit better off your tongue. But we're going to read it here in the ESV. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Everyone say, Abba, Father. Father. How many of you guys know in here that God is your Father? He is your Abba Father. Abba is the equivalent of Daddy or Appa. Abba Father. God is your Abba Father. And uh, I just want to take a moment and, and give a praise report. Anthony just wrote in my wall a couple hours ago. Anthony Cobbler down in Busan on the Busan Church Plant team. Uh, he wrote, in one week, Roy was not only offered two, but three jobs. Kelly was offered two jobs, and I was offered two jobs. Praise the Lord for increase. It's great over here in Busan. The sun has been shining bright. The birds have been singing loud, and the trees have been lifting up their branches in praise. We joined together as one great harmonious choir before our great king. Signature Anthony Cobbler. Let's praise the Lord for that. Come on, that's the praise report. And I'm sure Anthony uh, wouldn't mind me sharing this, but, you know, just the inside story is, you know, uh, Anthony uh, actually doesn't have a college degree. So, you know, it was quite a bit of a challenge to try to get hired. But how many of you guys know that although Anthony doesn't have a college degree, he's got the favor of the Father? So not only one, he got offered two jobs. So we're joking around right now. Caleb has no excuse. Caleb also, he went to jail and stuff, so he never, he never finished college. Uh, and he's, you know, struggling with different fears of, you know, am I going to be able to find a job? All right, Caleb, you're listening. All right, there's no worry for you. All right. We'll be expecting four job offers for you. <laughs> and the inside story also for Kelly was she kept getting denied because she'll apply to different jobs and then on the final round, on the final phase of getting hired, they would always ask for a picture because this is Korea, right? And, and she'll either go in or send a picture. And then when they find out that she's black, they would not hire her. So she had several of these types of racism and discrimination experiences. But let me tell you something right now. No amount of racism or discrimination can outweigh the favor of God on Kelly's life. So praise the Lord. That's a praise report. And I just wanted to share that as it connects and ties in with uh, this message today about God being a father who favors you. You know, in my experience of God, God has taught me early on the concept of his favor. You know, did you know that the the word favor can be... um, Well, the word grace can be defined as unmerited, undeserved favor. 
So the way that we get washed clean from our sins and declared righteous and justified before a holy God is through God's favor. Through His unmerited favor, we are saved. But a lot of Christians, they kind of stop there with this concept of a grace that saves us. But they don't really understand that grace not only saves us and brings us into the kingdom, but that grace, it, it accompanies us throughout our lifetime here on earth. That Christ came to give us the abundant life. And that abundant life is a life where the favor of God follows you all the days of your life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him God favors you. You know, in my experience of God's favor, I kid you not, I feel like God's favorite man on the earth. Now, you might think that's a little arrogant, all right? But I'm just telling you my real experience of God. My, my experience with God, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not just saying this is just for me. By sharing with you this testimony, I'm inviting you in. And saying that this is for every blood-bought saint of God. God wants each and every one of you, not just pastor Christian, each and every one of you to feel like you are his favorite one. Because you are. God is amazing. He is the God who created the universe. He's created all these billions of people. But he has an amazing ability out of the millions and perhaps billions that will enter into his kingdom. He has amazing ability to make you feel like the only person in the world. You know who should do that for you? Who should make you feel that way? Your spouse, exactly. They better. They're supposed to. And they, and they better, right? Well, all, the married, all the married people, you know? Oh, actually, how many? we only have two couples in here today. <laughs> uh, three couples, hallelujah. All right. All right. A good spouse should make their significant, their, their husband or wife feel like they are the most loved person in the whole entire world. The most gorgeous woman alive. When you give her a hug, you should hold her, hug her in such a way that she feels like you're never going to let her go. That special love. And the Bible uses this marriage analogy between his relationship with us. God is a loving husband. That makes us feel like, men or women like, makes us feel like the most beautiful bride in the world. God says, you are my favorite one. The favor of the Father is upon each and every one of you. You know, a lot of people have different views of God. Some people think God is this far off God that's way out there in the universe. Other people think that God is a very formal God who is very obsessed with rituals and doing all the things the right way or else he won't talk to you. Uh, other people have this image of God as a punisher. You know, with this, uh, with this memed, this uh, stick ready to get you whenever you make a mistake. Whenever you sin, whenever you fall, he's just ready to punish you. And he puts incredible pressure on his children to live up to impossible expectations. But all of these views of God are completely wrong. 
This is what religion tries to paint. The religious spirit tries to paint of our image of God. God is this ritualistic God. And you have to do all of this ritual correctly or else you're not going to experience His love. You're not going to experience His favor. God is this holy God and because you're so sinful, He won't touch you. He won't even talk to you until you get your life straight. Unless you get your life holy and pure. And all of these images of God is actually not coming from Scripture. This is not the theology that God wants us to have of Him. 2,000 years ago, God had the perfect opportunity to set the record straight. You know what He did? He sent His only Son. Jesus Christ came to earth as a man. And He was 100% man. As well as being 100% divine. But Jesus took on the attributes, the limitations of being a man who has to eat, go to the bathroom. Uh, he has to read. He has to walk. Although he can walk on water. <laughs> and Jesus came and he came to set the record straight for God's people. And Jesus, his primary image that he gave for us to see God as is is as a loving father. Jesus taught us to see God as a loving father. And a father is somebody that's patient with you, that loves you, someone that is for you, someone that helps you to overcome your mistakes, someone that roots for you so you can achieve your dreams. A father... Is someone that believes the very best in you. And Jesus taught us to see God as our Father. You know, as good evangelical Christians, many of us, we definitely know God as holy, righteous, Savior, Lord, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And we have all these different images of God. But it's when we begin to really see God as a father that our relationship with him takes on a whole different dynamic. You know, we've been emphasizing a lot on sonship. But, you know, the other side of that is that's who we are. But if we are sons, what does that make God? We have to understand that side of things as well. Just as Pastor John was preaching last night at the joint prayer meeting. You know, the more we discover our true identity, the more access we have to fight the enemy, to represent the kingdom here on this earth. But also it's twofold. We, we realize more of who we are, but we also get a greater revelation of who he is. And the primary image that God wants you to have of him is as a father. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I am his favorite one. You know, a lot of um, Asian Christians, their primary image of God is as 
a holy creator. You know, it's just the way Asians are. You know, it's, it's a lot of influence from Confucianism. We see him as this authoritative figure that is holy and authoritative because he's created everything. And so um, we're always making sure that we have the right theology. We want to make sure we please this God that is, uh, that is very holy and right. We want to try to live a pure life. You know, because we want to get close to that holy God, we've got to live a pure life, right? Uh, we're always trying to do good things. Tithing and fasting and coming out to church on time, things like that. We want to appear like a good Christian so that we can get close to this holy creator God that we have in our heads. And then what happens is when, these, uh, when a lot of these uh, Asian Christians, when they sin... When Asians, they sin or make mistakes, because their focus, our focus is so much on God as a holy creator, we instantly feel distant from God when we sin. Now, now sin has that effect, by the way. But because the primary emphasis is on God as a holy creator, when we sin, the first instinct that we want to do is not run toward God, but run away from God. So whether you're Asian or not, if you have this image of God as this holy, holy creator, and that's your primary image of him, when you, make, when you sin or make mistakes, you tend to run away because you know that these things are not pleasing to God and it's making you more distant from God. And because he's a holy creator and that's your primary image of him, you tend to run away and you have these long stages and seasons of backsliding. And just like many believers today, they emphasize a view of God as this holy creator. You know, there was another group in Jesus' time that had that same emphasis. The Pharisees. The Pharisees. You know, uh, Jesus, he reaches out to tax collectors. Prostitutes. I mean, I mean... Hey, I'm I'm not your ordinary pastor, right? Like I, I mean, I, you would, see, you could you could see me reaching out to prostitutes, and you wouldn't be you wouldn't judge me. You wouldn't be like, what what's Pastor Christian doing? He's trying to is he is he trying to get some customer service or something like that? Like, you would never think that, right? Or you would never think what what's he doing talking to prostitutes, right? Yeah, because that's that's not me, right? But you would also have a paradigm that I will actually have a heart to reach out to them, right? But most, most pastors, if they were caught 10 feet from, you know, a prostitute, you know, people would judge him. People would say, what's, what's my pastor doing? What's he doing in this, ta- this side of town? You know? You know what I mean? Yeah. And in the same way, the Pharisees had that same mentality. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're supposed, you're getting all this influence. All these thousands of people are following you around from town to town. You have all this influence. You can't associate with these people. These are sinners. These prostitutes, these tax collectors, they're going to lead astray all these thousands of people that are following you. Don't you understand this influence that God has given you to steward? All right, come hang out with us. We'll give you all the right answers. Come on. What are you doing? 
And then Jesus is like, no, no, chill with that, all right? I'm going to hang out with who I want to hang out. All right? Get off me. <laughs> hang out with these guys over here. Zacchaeus, come on. We're going to your house. You know? And so the religious, these Pharisees started to whisper among each other. Yeah, Jesus is, man, he's a, he's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He's a, man, he's going to get fat, high blood pressure. He's going to die early. I bet he's sexing it up with some of these girls that he's trying to reach out to. You know, they, 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 they accused him of all kinds of things. Right? And to the point where he's, when he's casting out demons... Later on, these Pharisees are like, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus is like, I don't even make no sense. House divided itself against, house divided against itself cannot stand. Man, y'all are full, man. Right? The Pharisees had a primary image of God. And that image was as God, as a holy creator. Now, don't get me wrong. God is the holy creator. He is holy, 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 it says the angels of God in the book of Revelation. Genesis tells us that he spoke and the world came into existence. But it's a little bit difficult for you to have a relationship with the creator. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Okay? But in the real world, Pinocchio doesn't come to life. You know what I mean? It is what uh, my friend Steve Traw taught me. If your paradigm, your primary paradigm of God is as a creator, here's what creators do. Right? Creators invent things. Creators make things. They make things like cars and iPods. Okay? And when they make things, what is it that they're expecting of those things that they have made? Their primary focus is functional. You know? You make a watch, I want this watch to function right. And when that watch doesn't function right, what does the creator do? I'm going to create another watch. I'm going to throw this one away, I'm going to create another watch. It is a little bit difficult for a, an invention to have a relationship with their inventor. So do you understand that when your primary image of God is as a creator, you're going to have a very difficult time having intimacy with a creator. Because you're, you're going to be obsessed with thinking that God is obsessed with your functionality on the earth. I've been created to do good works. Yes, I'm here to do good works. And your relationship with God becomes primarily functional. And the problem with this is when you're not functioning the way you think you should, you feel so distant from this God. Because you feel like a failure. You have no identity other apart from what you do. But how many guys know that God is more interested in who you are than what you can do for him. Who you are becoming than what you can do for him. You are, God is more interested in the who, as Joyce Meyer would say, he's more interested in the who than the do. His primary focus for you is, you are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you. Whether you go to Nepal on missions or not. Whether you go to college or not, whether you pick up the mic and start preaching the way I've, I've created you to preach or not, I love you. When Jesus began his public ministry, by the way, before Jesus began his public ministry, he did nothing. He didn't do nothing. 
He didn't feed the poor. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do nothing. And the beginning of his public ministry was when he got baptized in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the Jordan River, most of the Gospels have this account where a voice from heaven says, this is my, like a, like a, you know, Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Man, I have no idea what that looked like. You know, I'm just thinking maybe it was like a, like a, I don't know what it looked like. All right. Like, I, it's so funny. Some Jesus movies have an actual physical dove comes and lands on Jesus' shoulder. That's kind of bizarre. <laughs> and people are like, that's Holy Spirit. Look at the bird. Catch Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's what happened. I think it was like, like probably like something that looked like a dove. I don't know. But everyone heard this voice. And the voice said, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Isn't that so interesting? Jesus had not performed a single miracle. He had not preached a single sermon. And before he did anything, because his relationship with God is not functional. God said before he did anything good or bad, he just, he just simply said, this is my son in him I'm well pleased. You know, that's the picture of the gospel. That's the picture of Christianity. That's the way Christianity should really work. Right? We don't, a lot of people, the problem with the religious spirit is it, it, it traps us in false religion, right? I mean, a lot of people just say religion. But we all know when people say religion, we're talking about false religion. Because that word has kind of lost its oomph in a meaningful way for Christians. So a lot of times it's used as false religion, right? The religious spirit, when it brings in this religion, it causes Christians to work for God's approval and love. But Jesus' ministry was opposite. He worked from God's approval and love. He went out and performed the miracles and preached the messages because he already knew that he had the love and approval of the Father. And nothing could shake him. Even a bad sermon could not take away that love. But because of the religious spirit, a lot of Christians are taught or they start slipping into the mindset of, I got to earn God's favor and approval. If I perform well, then I can feel good about receiving God's favor. And that's just not, that just, that's not grace. That's not favor. That's your wages. That's you just getting what you earned, getting what you performed for. Now, I'm going to share something, a little Bible trivia that's really interesting. You know, Jesus had us really emphasize that we, he wants us to see God as a father, right? And I think he, um, I don't know if this is possible, he kind of overdid it, okay? Because if you do the math, if you do, if you go through the Gospels and count, okay? And I only have time to go, go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the ESV... If you count the number of times Jesus addresses God as Father, it's 64 times. 64 times, he says. Let your light shine before others so that, your, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
He doesn't say my father only. Jesus said your father again. Your father, your father, your father, your father, your father. Uh, your father who sees you do it in secret will reward you. I mean, he said this 64 times he referred to God as father. Okay. Do you know how many times Jesus referred to God as holy in the gospels? Once. Absolutely once. John 17, 11. And even in that passage, when he says, here, I'll read it for you, right? Actually, no, I, uh, I deleted it here. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, even when he addresses God as holy, you know what he says? He says, holy father. Even the one time Jesus addresses God as holy, it's with the word father. Jesus, you think you kind of overdid it here a little bit? I think Jesus is trying, he's trying to respond to the Pharisees of his day. He said, I want to give you no room for you to ever stand on the things that I've said. And put a wrong emphasis on how God's children should see God. God wants you to see him as a father. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God is your father. Now, if you understand that, that God is a good father, you understand that. This means if God is your father, God is not distant. God is not waiting for you to make a mistake so he can punish you. God's not there to point out what you do wrong every time you mess up or do something wrong or say something wrong. God is there as a father to pick you up when you fall down. To encourage you when you feel like you've made a mistake. To exhort you when you feel like you're going to give up. That's what a father, that's what a good father does. And can I tell you something? Satan has launched an all-out strategic war on the men in the church. I mean, if I did a statistical survey in here, I would say the vast majority of you would say that you actually grew up with a negative view of your earthly father. Your earthly father may have not been the most loving one that you had hoped for or wished for. You know, it's not coincidence that that's such a common story within the church. I I I mean, that's like the outside the church too. But I'm talking about within the church. But we have these amazing moms, though, man. Moms are amazing. Everywhere you go, man. Except for a couple crazy moms in America that are killing their own children. Anyway, I've been watching the Today Show too much. Hey, you guys got to watch it. Today Today Show is kind of fun to watch every day. You get, you get the news. Anyway, uh, 
moms are great. Maybe it's because, some people say, well, maybe it's because moms, you know, they, they, they carry the baby and then they give birth to the baby and then they gotta feed the baby. So there's an intimate connection with the baby and so they really care for that baby, but fathers don't have that. No, I don't think that's the only explanation. Okay? It's because Satan has targeted the men in the church. See, you see, if Satan can attack the men in the church and get them to commit adultery, get them to abuse their spouse, get them to abuse the children, get them so far off, caught up in all kinds of distractions, all kinds of false beliefs, if he can produce terrible fathers in the church, he knows that he's produced for the next generation a terrible image of God. It's, not just, it's just not the same if you attack the moms. It's just not the same effect. That's why the men in the church here, we need to fight. We need to fight to be good fathers. Both in the local church and in our families. But we're going to get targeted. One of the big ways is through lust, is through adultery. It's not about just your pleasure, enjoying a pleasure for a season. No, Satan is using that to distort your children's image of what a father should be. Because if he attacks that, he can attack that child's image of God. You know, many of us, we have a hard time believing and relating to God as a father because our earthly fathers were so abusive or they were so apathetic or so absent. And so when we start to preach God is your father, you're like, no, 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 no. God is my savior. God is my Lord. God is father. No, no, no. And oftentimes we need to be healed. We need to forgive. We need to come through our healing and deliverance before we can start to access and open up the revelation of God as Father. Because we have been so hurt, so damaged. And this goes applies to pastors as well. You know? Uh, the, your experience with pastors can also either edify or distort your image of God. Because pastors serve as spiritual fathers on the earth. You know? And Satan is, is launching out this all-out all out war. And we need to, we need to, well, the men, we need to fight to be good fathers. And the women, pray for these men. Speak life over them. Even if they mess things up, pray for their res- restoration. Not that God will go get them. Now, let me talk about the dynamic of having God as our father. Since God is your father, did you know that you can ask God for whatever you want and he's not going to laugh at you? He's not going to criticize you. He's not going to accuse you of being selfish. Now, I know what the right answer is. No, no. If you're going to ask God for anything, he won't give it to you unless you ask with right motives. Okay? No, the Bible doesn't actually say that. That's what the religious spirit says. It says, no, if you ask for something materialistic, God will probably not give it to you because you're asking out of selfish motives. No, actually, the Bible doesn't say that. 
You're saying that. That's what a Pharisee would probably say. The Bible doesn't say that. Because God is your father, you can ask for whatever you want. Whatever you want. And the father will give it to you. Now, some of you, you've never experienced that. So let me share with you some testimonies. Um, I'm taking Greek right now, right? There's a gentleman in my class, and back in October, he had his laptop. He has a 13-inch MacBook Pro, and he serves over there. Hallelujah, Gue. And uh, while he was at church one Sunday, he put out his laptop, went to the bathroom, came back, it was gone. Somebody stole that thing. Tony, there's thieves in Korea too, all right? Now, they're not just in Philly. All right, they're, they're in Korea. Watch out. Watch out. Don't leave your stuff just lying around, all right? But every, every day at Greek class, people ask me, why are you carrying your book bag? All right? Because when we go down to lunch, you know, every, no one carries their book bag. I'm always carrying my book bag. I'm like, you don't understand, all right? You don't understand. Anyway, this young man, he has his laptop stolen. And this past Tuesday, this past Tuesday... He had been praying for a new laptop because he can't afford to get another one, right? So he had been praying for God uh, to provide him with a new laptop. This past Tuesday, somebody anonymously bought him a new 13-inch MacBook Pro and gave it to him. Did this kid, did he earn it? Was it through good preaching, through faithful ministry, through getting all A's on the Greek exams? No. Why did he get it? Why did he get it? He asked for it. Favor. Because God is his father and he is his son, he got it. Now, what this young gentleman experienced, I have experienced 20 times over. I don't always share the, I don't share the, uh, my testimonies as much. because You know why? Because people get jealous. People get offended. It's weird. It's weird. But, you know, when, when there's so much religious spirit in the church... People get offended. The favor of God is such a foreign concept to them that when you share a testimony about it, they're just like, who do you think you are? I'm a child of God. He he favors me. I'm his favorite one. You're so arrogant. You're a sinner. Don't you know who you are? You don't deserve any of that. You're lucky. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's not luck. I pray specifically for this in this color and I got it. I hate you! And I... I mean, after a couple of those experiences, I'm just like, all right, I, won't, I, just, I just won't share. <laughs> okay, let me tell you, man. Let me tell you. This, what this young man experienced this past week, let me tell you. I, I was journaling after I heard about his testimony. I was journaling about all of the times that I asked God for something. Just simply on favor. Just simply the fact that he's my father. And I love the Gospel of Matthew. It's my favorite. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is my favorite passage in the whole Bible. It's the one that I first read when I became a Christian in fifth grade. And I had a good news Bible. And, you know, you open up pay page. Hey, join this Matthew 1, right? Anyway, um, there's a verse that says in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, a lot of religious spirit people will say, everyone who asks, receive. That's talking about salvation. That's talking about wisdom. How about a PS3? No, that's not talking about PS3. (laughs) 
All right, all right. Well, I beg to defer if you keep on reading, right? It says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Sorry, I don't know what that was. It's a fish. It's a fish, come on. And then he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Don't say, to those who deserve it, to those who earned it, simply to those who ask. He who asks, receives. Okay, so here's my testimony. Several times throughout my life, I have stood on either this verse or uh, there's a couple other verses that are, that, that are similar. But this verse is the one I always quote to Jesus. I always quote to the Father, right? I come before the Lord and, I, and I'll say, Lord, I want one of them new laptops. I don't have a laptop. Actually, at one point, I didn't have a laptop, right? So I was like, Lord, I want a new laptop. And when I graduate, I want a laptop. I don't have to explain, like, Lord's like, Why? Are you going to use it for ministry purposes? <laughs> no, the guy didn't do none of that. He was just like, all right. All right. Keep, keep, keep speaking. I'm just like, well, Lord, it says in your word in Matthew chapter 7 that if one of us asks for bread, who will give him a stone? If asked for a fish, who will give him a serpent? If we being wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven? I believe that if I ask, you will give me this. Because if I was a father and I had a child, I'll give him whatever that kid asked for. But how much more will you do that for me? God, I want a new, at that time it was an iBook. I want a new iBook. All right? I pray that prayer. All right? Within one month, my sister and her friend, as a graduation gift, they went out. All right? Um, actually, no, it wasn't, it was, um, I'm sorry, it was six months after graduation, all right? It was a, it was a, little, a little bit, it was, so it wasn't really a graduation gift, but I was uh, headed into um, Campus Crusade staff. Wait, I'll make sure I get this right, right? Anyway, my sister and her friend got their money together, and they bought me a new laptop. And then it asked me which one I wanted or anything like that. They just bought it for me, and it happened to be iBook. It gets better, right? Several years later, the iBook starts to slow down. No, it just, it always seems like they slow down, you know, they, they don't make, maybe they make the software in that way. They just make the software heavier and heavier and makes everything slow down. So you want a better computer. And so in 2005, I was like, Lord, iBook is cute, but I'm a man. And a real man needs a MacBook Pro. Lord, I ask you for a MacBook Pro. And I did not hear the Lord say, man, you are a greedy little one, aren't you? You know, I already got your iBook. Just use what you got. No, it was only maybe like two and a half years later, by the way. Right? I said, no, Lord. I mean, you could say no. I don't care. But I know your word says. <laughs> we men, we can know how to go get gifts. How much more would the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I'm just asking, Lord. I'm just asking. Because <laughs> your favor is on me. I know it. All right? All right? 
It took maybe a couple months after I prayed this prayer. I was praying it maybe once a week or something like that. One of my pastor's friends, right, in New York City, sits down with me one, one time at lunch. He initiates it. He says, are you still carrying around that iBook? This is Pastor Mark, by the way. And he's like, you know what, Christian? You know what? I, man, I get upset when I see you carrying that iBook. Because a real man needs a MacBook Pro. I kid you not. He said something like that. Exactly. Just, just like the way I expressed it to God, he said it. And he's like, you know what? You know, because he wanted to support my ministry, like, you know, $50 a month or something like that. But I was like, man, let's not do that. Because, you know, I don't want to, you're my friend and, you know, we meet up and stuff. So, you know, I don't want you to, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to taint our relationship dynamic. So he, he decided not to support me monthly. So he was like, well, since I didn't support you monthly, let me just buy you a new computer. I said, Really? I looked all surprised too. I was like, really? But inside I was going, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right? And immediately he went out. He bought me a new MacBook Pro. Gets better. About two and a half years after that, okay, uh, there was a newer MacBook Pro that come out. All right? <laughs> and it looked much better. It was faster. You know, all this stuff, right? And, you know, I could never afford a laptop during these times because, you know, I had support raise and, you know, I didn't have like $2,000 lying around. Right? And so, once again, I asked the Lord. Lord, I know your word says. You will give good gifts to those who ask. I started to pray about this. And this time it took maybe several months, right? Three, three months. I make a trip out to New York from Korea. While I'm there... All right, two lawyer friends at my, at my church back in New Jersey, they decide to convene and get me a new laptop. And they said, you know what? I forget how I bought it. Anyway, they, they just said, here's the money. You go and you buy yourself a new laptop. And it wasn't like, I, when, I, when all these things happened, I didn't, I didn't look at man. I didn't look at these people that had given me these gifts and saying, oh, you're such a generous person. Oh, you're so kind. No, I looked to God because I knew the inside story was the only reason I got it because it's because I am his favorite one. It's because I asked as a son to a father because of my childlike heart. And some of you might be like, man, you're a greedy, you're a greedy pastor. <laughs> but you know what? That was a desire in my heart. And I asked and I, and I, and I experienced God giving to me. Not only have I, have I gotten three laptops given to me as gifts, I've gotten two guitars. One which was a Gibson songwriter, a $2,500 guitar that my friend gave me. He took the initiative. He, he brought it up. He gave it to me. Um, I've gotten two video camcorders. All right. I kid you not, every single time the story was, I just stood on this verse or there was a second other verse, right? These, this verse is the one that I always come back to, though. Let me tell you what else I've gotten, right? I've gotten two cars, okay? Now, the first one was a little bit like there was a lot of flesh involved because I thought I had enough money and I thought I could get the insurance. New Jersey's got the highest insurance premiums. And I went out and I bought a car. And then I found out that I couldn't get insurance because the insurance was like $3,500 and I couldn't afford the insurance, much less the car payments, 
right? And then I ended up telling my mom, and I thought she was just going to be like, you idiot, what kind of stupid son are you, you know? But no, God was so gracious with me. God moved upon my mom's heart to go tell a friend about it, and that friend was moved upon by God to give us a no-interest loan. So we paid off that car, and that's the car that I use for many of my ministry years and, uh, before I came to Korea. And then when, and you know about my, the current car that I drive. You know, I prayed specifically for that car. And someone was threatened to give me another, another model, another car. But then God used mysterious uh, out, uh, little signs in order to... Anyway, all right. So he got me two cars. Lactate. Okay, I'm lactose intolerant. Severely lactose intolerant. And you can't buy lactate in Korea. And so I asked God in my prayer closet, Lord, you have said in your word, whoever asks will receive. I pray that you will give me so much lactate that it will be coming out my ears. I pray lactate from heaven. Lactate like manna. Falling from heaven, Lord. Hallelujah. Lactate. All right. I pray that three years ago, ever since then. All right. Judy Choi. Her mom does this like thing with pharmaceuticals. Anyway, they take old pharmaceuticals that are maybe two months left to expire, to expiration date. They take it to the missions field and they distribute it to third world uh, countries so that they can use that medicine to treat the sick. Well, one thing that they can't take with them on these, far- on these mission trips is lactate. Good people in the third world, they just deal with the gas. They don't know about lactose intolerance. So you give them a lactate, they're like, what is this? Give me some painkillers, you know? And so there's all this lactate that Judy's mom can't use. So she just gives it to Judy and say, Hey, I remember your pastor was severely lactose intolerant. Can you give this to him? So boxes upon boxes. And people have gotten it for me for Christmas, for birthdays. I mean, I've, after a while, I had to tell people, Please stop giving me lactate. I got more than enough. Let me tell you something else. Taco Bell. I'm serious. I prayed, all right, from 2006 until 2010 when they finally opened up. I prayed for Taco Bell to return to Korea. Because they were here before, they went broke, and they left. And the only way you can get Taco Bell was to go on base. And I was just like, man, that's just too inconvenient. Lord, I want to be able to just go to Taco Bell whenever I want. I said, Lord, it says in your word, we being wicked know how to give good gifts. How much more will you give Taco Bell to those who ask? <laughs> so I prayed, I prayed, I prayed from 2006 to 2010. Almost three years. In 2010, God gives me a sign. I will do what you have asked. And then there's these, um, these white dudes in, um, uh, outside of uh, Seoul. They make a video about Taco Bell. It's the most bizarre thing in the world. They were like, you know, we want Taco Bell. I forget the, what the music was like. But he made, they, they made this music video. And the Lord is like, this is a sign unto you. Taco Bell will open up for you in Korea. I was like, hallelujah, Lord, I receive it. Next thing you know, we're coming out here to help you know, build a sanctuary. And Taco Bell opening soon. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then somebody else must have started praying because another one opened up in Hongdae a little bit later. Come on now. You know what I'm praying for right now? I, I, oh, oh, another one. Mc, McDonald's. In my neighborhood, in Gongdok. Okay? I was praying for a McDonald's specific. Aaron and I, we came in agreement for this one. We were like, Lord. We pray for a McDonald's that's 24 hours and delivers. Right? And delivers. Because we're lazy like that, right? 
kid you not. We pray that. We pray that from uh, when we first got married in 2008, all right, until 2011. Three years. Two, 2011 hits. A McDonald's opens up in Gongdeok. Okay? But they didn't deliver. So we're like, oh, Lord, come on now. We pray specifically that this McDonald's will deliver. Right? <laughs> Three weeks ago, they started delivering. Come on now. Come on now. The Father has favor upon you. I'm telling you, there is no detail too big or too small for you to ask your Abba Daddy. You don't have to try to earn it. You don't have to have a perfect quiet time record. All you got to do is be who you are in Christ. You are just a child of God. I really believe that when you ask with a childlike heart, God doesn't accuse you of your motives. He just simply, he loves to lavish his gifts and his favor upon his children. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to skip some of this. I'm going to end with this. Um, this is an awesome song by Marvin Sapp. He's a black gospel singer. Right? And the first time I heard it, man, it just made me cry. Okay? And the song, it goes like this. He said, it goes like, it goes like this, right? I will play it for you, but... I'll just sing it for you instead. Right? But I recommend going and finding it and listening to the original. Okay? But uh, Marvin Snap, he has a song called The Best in Me. The song goes like this. It says, He saw the best in me When everyone else around me Could only see the worst in me mm. Can I get a witness tonight? Yeah. He saw the best in me. When everyone else... I'm, I'm getting the key off a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> everyone else around me could only see the worst in me. And then the verse comes. You see, he is mine. And I am his. It doesn't matter what I did. He only sees me for who I am. Does anybody know that tonight? I said... For he is mine, and I am his. It doesn't matter what I did. He only sees me for who I am. And, and let me tell you something right now, right? You know what the religious spirit, you know what a Pharisee religious spirit will say to that song? They will say, uh, 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 hold on, hold on, don't release that song to the public. That's not theologically accurate. That's got the wrong emphasis. I don't know if that's, if that's, got a, if that's been systematically... Those lyrics need to be systematically tested. Man, shut up! I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, with the, um, with the spoken word piece, you know, I, like I said in my blog, I agree with what, what the guy wrote. Now, Pastor uh, DeYoung, he, had, he has a lot of good things to say. But I'm sorry, man. That boy is, is oblivious to the spirit in which he's writing. 
The spirit I told you last night, he, the spirit in which he wrote is the very spirit that Jeff is trying to expose. Jeff is trying to express our frustrations over. That that spirit's been in charge too long. So, I mean, I love the content, of, you know, the, the theological content. You know, those reform guys, very smart. But we've got to watch out of the yeast. We've got to watch out how that yeast gets into the church. We can't let religious spirits be in charge. Because the religious spirit cuts you off from the Father. You ever see the, you ever read the prodigal son, the terrible parable of the prodigal son? In there, it gives us such a vivid image of God as our Father. And in there, you have a son that squanders his inheritance with wild living. I mean, he, you think about it, he did it all. The drugs, the sex, whatever. He just squanders all his wealth, ends up in the pig pen, and says to himself, I need to return to my father. It's got to be better than, any, better than this. Returns to the father thinking, maybe he'll make me like a hired servant. I'm just hoping he'll just let me in. Just let me, let, me, let me wash the dishes or something. Comes in. His head is down. Practicing his I'm sorry speech. And we got to understand. He never, he never delivered his I'm sorry speech. Did you know that? Why? Because while he's practicing, he's got his head down in shame. The father ran right to him. The father saw him from a ways off. The father, he probably, you know, in the story, he probably suspected the, the son has jacked things up, does something stupid. He's been away for all this time. You've hurt my heart. You've hurt my feelings. But the father's not on that. The father runs up to this prodigal son, embraces him. And the son is like, whoa, I got something to say to you. Uh, I'm sorry for uh, what I've done. I've sinned against. The father's like, interrupts his speech. He interrupts his I'm sorry speech for the father's welcome back speech. Why? Because he's a father. Because a real father, a father, even on earth, when we have children, we'll understand this a little bit more later. A father sees his son differently than other people see that son. Yeah, yeah, any of you guys grow up here as a PK? Why is it so hard growing up as a pastor's kid? Why? Because everybody scrutinizes every little thing you do. And if you play hooky one, one Sunday and you don't show up, you, you go across the street and you start playing at the arcade, and one of the elders finds you, that elder is going to go spread all the news to the rest of the elders, the whole church finds out about it. They scrutinize every little thing you do. And a lot of times they're very harsh about it. What kind of PK are you? Man, you need to put your child in check. What kind of, this is a bad example. He's leading my children astray. You know, a lot of other people will be harsh with their own children. But a father is going to see his child differently. Father's going to have a lot more grace, compassion, and kindness. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home. He's saying, it don't matter what you've done. It don't matter how badly you've messed up. If all you do is return to the Father, He will embrace you with His love. And although you've done dishonorable things, when you return to Him, 
He puts a ring on your finger, a robe on your back, and sandals on your feet. He restores your sense of dignity. One of the hardest things for young people who've backslidden, the hardest thing to come back to church is, you know why it's so hard to come back to church? It's because they feel like their dignity can never be restored. How can I show my face again at church when I used to go and then I backslid? Everybody's seeing my Facebook pictures, doing all this crazy wild living. How can I ever show my face at church again? Well, yeah, if your church is being run by the older brother. You know what the older brother doing the parable? What was he doing? He was upset. He was angry. He's like, how could you do that? How could you just welcome back this son like he's done nothing wrong? And the father is like pleading with his older brother like, come on in and celebrate. Son, he was lost. Now he's found. Don't you understand? He's my son. And you are too. Come on in and celebrate. And the older brother said, like, no. I've been slaving away for you for all these years. I've done everything right. You never celebrate for me. And you know, we, we are tempted to kind of be like, oh, oh, older son, maybe we should throw a party for you too. But no, if you look at the parable, you know why Jesus told the parable? Why the older brother figure was in there? The older brother was, he was representing the Pharisees of that day. He told that parable because these Pharisees were like, Jesus, you're, you're a glutton. You're a drunkard. How could you hang out with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus is like, why are you so upset? These are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. They're coming in. They realize their need for me. And they're coming in. We got to rejoice. This is not our time to get all upset. We know, a lot of times our churches are so run by this older brother, this religious spirit Pharisee mentality. That for backsliders, people who go astray, they feel so embarrassed to ever come back into that church. You know, let me tell you something right now. In New Philly, we will never become that kind of church. All right? Even if you messed up, you've done stupid things, you backslidden for years, you can come into this house and we'll, we'll embrace you with a hug. We'll welcome you. We won't, even, we, won't even as, we won't even have to talk about your sin. What, what about a repentance prayer? All right, well, you, you do that on your own. You do that on your own. But we, we don't have to go through step one, two, three for us to embrace you. We just embrace you right where you are. Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to true repentance. You know, I want us to be a house that has the heart of the Father. This is the Father's house. I want us to be a house that that has all these crazy testimonies of God's favor and goodness. I got a car! You know, it's like the price is right. You know, when you got God, when you have the Father... Having favor on you, it's like the price is right every single month. A new car! (laughs) Wow. But not only that, I want us to be a house that embraces the lost. Embraces the tax collector, the sinner. And welcomes them in with the arms of the Father. And restores their dignity. Oh, I can never I can never serve in this church because you don't know what I've done. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. He only sees you for who you are. And that's exactly what I'm going to do for you too. <laughs> Let's pray. Hallelujah.